Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to part six of my Texas Chainsaw Massacre series review, where I'll be discussing the 2006 prequel, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Beginning. The film serves as a precursor to Marcus and Spell's 2003 remake. The beginning provides not only answers to questions poised in the Spell's remake, but also gives us a look at the birth of the legend of Leatherface and the Hewitt clan. There are some out there who will probably ask, why the hell would anyone be interested in a sixth entry of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Something that writers Sheldon Turner and David J. Show considered when developing the prequel. And for fans of the previous film and franchise as a whole, the beginning scratches that need to know the absolute origins of the slasher icon for hardcore fans of the series. Directed by Jonathan Leedsman and once again produced by Michael Bay, the beginning picks up in 1939, showing us the Hewitt family's quite literal birth in the meat business. We see Leatherface's mother prematurely give birth to him, and upon her abusive boss seeing his disfigured face, proceeds to toss him in the dumpster out back. Soon enough, we see Luda May, who returns from the previous film, who rescues the baby Leatherface and raises him as her own. This then cuts to the film's intro that shows us Leatherface's unique upbringing, where he takes to meat early on, butchering animals and making a mask out of a dog to hide his disfigured face. The film then jumps to 1969, and we see a now, full-grown Thomas Hewitt, aka Leatherface, has taken to working in the slaughterhouse. As you'd assume, Leatherface doesn't take kindly to being told the slaughterhouse is closing, or being called a retard by his boss, and he enacts justice the only way he knows how, by violently murdering him, of course. Once again, Andrew Bryanarski's portrayal of Leatherface is a domineering one. His physicality is as much a part of Leatherface as is his propensity for severing flesh via his trusty saw. I was once again pleasantly surprised by the beginning actually including more gore than its predecessor, with memorable moments of mayhem. This is all relative in terms of what we've received in past Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, but for this series, it's a strong improvement over the last film which felt heavily edited. And while Leatherface remains the face of the franchise, he's once again bested by R. Lee Ernie's reprising his role as Sheriff Hoyt. We learn the backstory of one of the franchise's nastiest and sinister characters, and are given further proof that his demise in the spell's remake was warranted. The beginning confirmed my suspicion that, in fact, Hoyt was never really a sheriff, rather he murdered the last sheriff in town. We learn that his name is actually Charlie Hewitt Jr., and he's Leatherface's adoptive uncle. Hewitt Jr. adopts the title and name of Sheriff Hoyt when he kills Hoyt, who was attempting to arrest Leatherface when he killed his boss. R. Lee Ernie has a significant amount of screen time and ultimately gives his most memorably vile performance of the series. His character's moral compass is perfectly clear as he has no qualms about murdering others, yet draws extreme offense when the real Sheriff Hoyt continually refers to Leatherface as being retarded, to which Hewitt Jr. responds, he ain't retarded, he's misunderstood. This brief moment of sympathy gives way to him vaporizing the sheriff's head with a shotgun blast, only to kneel by his corpse, dip his fingers into the pool of blood surrounding his body, and tasting it before quipping, I just killed the whole sheriff's department. And while he himself doesn't commit many acts of murder, though he of course does his fair share of doling out violence, it's his mind that separates him from Leatherface. Leatherface has always been portrayed as being childlike, and while that element is toned down considerably in the beginning, Leatherface's subservient relationship with Hoyt allows the power imbalance to be just as damning. 
Hoyt-nosed Leatherface clings to every word he says, so when he encourages Leatherface to rev his saw when a victim's exposed belly is lying on top of it, he reminds Leatherface of all the schoolyard bullies that tormented him in his youth. There's more of a cognizant sinisterness to Hoyt's egging him on, than Leatherface actually committing the act of violence. Considering his dubious mental capacity, which results in him being very impressionable, Hoyt's effortless melding of black humor with brutal acts of violence results in a manically disturbing performance that is the perfect contrast to Leatherface's brute force dismemberment. While I applaud the beginning for giving center stage to this fantastic villain, I can't say the same for the new crop of youths. They serve as little more than lambs heading to the slaughter and are about as uninspired as protagonists could come. Pair this with a bare-bones Vietnam backstory broadly tying in the film's 1969 setting, and they ultimately serve as a distraction from uncovering the far more interesting lineage of the Hewitt family. While the protagonist's narrative is completely forgettable, I enjoyed learning more about the Hewitts prior to the 2003 remake as the film answers several questions from it. For starters, we learn that the slaughterhouse where the family worked closed and essentially crippled the town. This explains why the Texan backroads are so bare and why it's so easy for people to disappear out there. We also learn how the family transitioned into the cannibalistic monsters that we know them as today. It's partially due to the poverty they experienced when the slaughterhouse closed, but also Hoyt's personal experience that pushed him to what they've become. Hoyt adopted his cannibalistic lifestyle from his time spent in the Korean War as a POW. He gives a chilling anecdote about how he and other prisoners would pick the weakest soldier and put them on the proverbial chopping block in order to survive. It's a brief kernel of information further exploring the family's backstory that actually makes them more frightening as their reason for the way they are isn't nearly as far-fetched as human meat tastes the best. They're nothing if not practical. The beginning also answers several questions raised in the spell's remake, such as how Uncle Monty ends up in a wheelchair. During a brief home invasion of the Hewitt plantation, Monty suffers a gunshot wound to his leg. Hoyt decides that Leatherface must amputate Monty's wounded leg, though Leatherface accidentally nicks his remaining good leg, to which Hoyt chastises him for, and proceeds to tell him his work is sloppy and that he needs to even it out by cutting off the other leg. You know, for symmetrical reasons. It's a perfect example of Hoyt's blending of sadistic torture with dark humor quips. And finally, another example of exploring the Hewitt's past is how Hoyt lost his front teeth. In the spell's remake, he reveals to a character, whose teeth he knocks out with a whiskey bottle, that Hoyt himself has fake teeth, and reveals a missing top deck of chompers. We learn in the beginning that this is due to his teeth getting dusted by one of the protagonists who smashes his face repeatedly into the front porch of his house. A small moment that doesn't have a grandiose impact on the story, but it's a combination of small and sickening details that give the Hewitts their horrifying legacy. Now, as this is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, it'd be nothing without satisfying kills, and here, the beginning shines. The film has several great kills and effects that are seemingly more gruesome and gory than the previous film. So much so that according to producer Brad Fuller, the film was originally given an NC-17 rating by the MPAA, and a total of 17 scenes had to be edited in order to get that R rating. The variety of implements that Leatherface uses in hunting his prey is expanded upon, which I appreciated. I mean, how many times can you watch a guy swing the saw around as much as we do love it? All manner of butchery and farmstead tools are used, from scissors to bear traps to ripping a fleeing victim from a truck with a meat hook. Leatherface's commitment to mayhem is in fine form here. That being said, when he does break out Old Reliable and revs his saw as the belly of a victim is lying on top of it, it's about as gory as could be in a Leatherface film. 
So much so that I'd say the film is more graphic than its predecessor, as the camera lingers for far longer on Leatherface severing and flaying flesh throughout the film. Whether it's him impaling a character and sending them flying with the swing of his saw, or sawing through a car's driver's seat into the perceived final girl of the film, killing her, and sending her car crashing into a nearby cop and civilian, he's never been more efficient than here. These kills and more make the beginning a satisfying entry in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. There is a major caveat here in that the film will mostly only resonate with hardcore fans of the franchise, as the backstory that's revealed is more supplemental rather than taking the film and the series in a new direction. Some will also not be a fan of Leatherface playing second fiddle largely to Hoyt, which I certainly welcomed given this is the sixth film in the franchise and Leatherface has grown a tad stale for me. All in all, this is about as solid of a prequel as could be expected, and as I've had my questions of the Hewitt's past answered, I'm interested to see where they're headed in the next chapter of the franchise, with 2013's Texas Chainsaw 3D, which features the return of the original Leatherface, one Gunner Hansen. So be on the lookout for the next chapter in my Texas Chainsaw Massacre series review next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.